0: This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Broman. Young Avalanche players becoming stars. To be mentioned a couple of months into your rookie year mm-hmm. as a Norris Trophy candidate. Right. It's really, it's really amazing stuff. Confidence goes a long way at the quarterback position. He played like he belonged. He played like he expected to play right. well. A McManus temper tantrum. Would that ever have occurred if the head coach's
1: name is Bill Belichick and the new generation of sports consumption. A lot of people get their information from Twitter, their news from Twitter or Instagram. One thing that people do do is a lot of my friends do listen to podcasts.
2: This is the Drew Goodman Podcast
0: with Julie Brownman. Welcome everybody to podcast number 21. It's the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman, except Julie ain't here. <laughs> But she has a really good excuse for not being here because it is happy bleep birthday, Julie. And she's with several girlfriends up to God knows what in San Diego. I can't wait to hear those stories (laughs) next week. So happy birthday, Julie. Tear it up. You deserve it and uh we'll hear about uh, i'm gonna grill her pretty well uh next week so you'll want to look forward to that on our next uh, podcast we're brought to you uh each and every week by ideal home loans and uh they'll bring us our interview a little bit later on we have a special interview special for me especially we'll get to that a little bit later on but uh, jesse montano is with us he is uh one of our engineers and uh he is very busy you're doing a lot of hockey these days aren't you jesse
2: Yeah, that's mostly that's mostly what I mostly do with the abs and and stuff like that. But uh, abs are fun, go ranting and back. It's uh, it's crazy. Abs are fun is a really weird sentence to hear around these parts the last 15 years. But uh, the abs are fun. They look great. You know what?
0: I was reading a piece today and I and I love the abs. So I, I watch closely. Kale McCarr is phenomenal. I mean, to, to step it's, out of collegiate hockey, and I understand yeah. he was the Hobie Baker Award winner, right. but his first college or his first NHL game, as we all know, was in the playoffs last year. Yep. And he handles himself like he's a 10-year vet in the postseason. <laughs> yeah. And so his first time playing in the regular season was already after he had played a multitude of players. Right.
2: Pretty wild. Yeah. No, I mean, he he's out there. He looks like he's on easy mode in a video game, honestly. And, and, and you know, there, there's... And I, I hate to be jumping far ahead, but, you know, Drew Locke is another rookie that just made his debut. And I saw a lot of people talking today about swagger. Cal McCart's not even necessarily swagger, but like you said, just the way he carries himself out there looks like a vet.
0: He's really good. He knows it. And he falls in with the grand humility that most hockey players always play with, especially young hockey players. Mm-hmm defensemen typically, as you well know, it usually takes a while for them to become seasoned and become upper echelon in the NHL. This precocious kid with a couple of years of major college hockey is already among the top defenseman. I don't think I'm. that's a stretch right now.
2: No, Drew, I mean, with the way it stands today, you know, the the, the NHL just passed their quarter season, uh, you know, Mark. So everyone starts in the quarter season poll. Cale McCarr is legitimately in the running for both rookie of the year and the Norris Trophy, which is awarded to the best defenseman in the NHL. He's He's legitimately in the running for that. So... I mean, he's he's already one of the league's top defensemen,
0: uh, which is amazing. It's just crazy.
2: As, just as
0: Eric Johnson, who, <laughs> right. who plays for the Avs, who was a very high pick, how mm-hmm. long it took him to become uh, a top pair, if you will. Not only is this a, this kid a top pair yeah. at that level, but as you said, Calder Trophy. I mean, that may be a foregone mm-hmm. conclusion. We'll see how, right. that, how how that turns out. But to be mentioned a couple of months into your. Rookie year mm-hmm. as a Norris Trophy candidate, right? It's really, it's really amazing stuff. Rantanen comes back. McKinnon's been outstanding. They're a blast to watch. Don't miss out because yeah. when you have an elite team. You know, we went through a period and through a number of years where the Broncos were elite, where every mm-hmm. year they had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Obviously, they, they have and they've, they've won Super Bowls. Um, the, the Nuggets haven't really been at that class yet. Right. We know how people, you know, tour up the town when the Rockies actually go to the postseason yeah. in October. <laughs> yeah. But the Avalanche have a chance. This could be an extended window oh, yeah. where they year in and year out, just as they did when they moved from Quebec. And, and for me, some of my greatest sports memories more than 30 years in this town are the Avalanche when it was Forsberg and Sackey yeah. and Foote and Sandus-Ozelinch. And, and it was like a who's who um, of great players at that time in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And We all know about the rivalry with the Detroit Red Wings. But the Avalanche are entering a period right now where they are elite and 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 can compete legitimately yeah. with the top teams in the NHL
2: every night, and, and you know you you just said Miko Rantanen came back. They've been without Miko Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog for the last five weeks, and and they're still up near the top of their division. And and you talk about extended window. What about Joe Sakic for GM of the year right now? He makes these offseason acquisitions to to you know bolster the roster's depth. They get hit with some early injuries, and that depth helps keeps this keep this team afloat. He took Kale McCarr at four a couple seasons ago before he went the college route, uh, and you know he's from a smaller minor junior league, maybe not the best pick. Took the risk, paying off
0: <laughs> handsomely. I'll, I'll give you another one. He, he took that you're well aware of when Nathan McKinnon came out. The sexy pick, and, and this kid I'm going to mention, and you know where I'm going with this, yeah. is a really good player. Yeah. And he had ties to Colorado. I yeah. know his dad. I used to do his dad's games when he was in the NBA. He's a great guy. I know his mom, Amy, Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. Seth Jones was, for many people, the first pick in the draft. Oh, yeah. And it's not as... it Joe could loved Seth Jones. Right. But he saw something in the electricity that Nathan McKinnon brought, yeah, and maybe only a guy like Joe Sakic who played with that same electricity, great wrist shot, and, and had great wheels. Mm-hmm. He saw that in McKinnon, and yeah. now as it turns out, and this is not to disrespect the career Seth Jones happened, because Seth Jones is a terrific player. great Great career so far. But McKinnon is turning out to be, he's another one. You have yeah. two guys on the same team that could compete for the Hart Trophy.
2: Every year. Yeah. Every year. And and, and yeah, I, I mean, it's especially at the time with Seth Jones, defense was such a, uh, you know, very much under the microscope here in Denver. That was a, a kind of a risky pick at the time. Right. You need defense. You take the center. And uh, I mean, I don't think one one Avalanche fan would have it the other way right now.
0: No, it, it's turned out nicely. And yeah. you know what? I wanted to talk football today, but I love talking about the Avalanche. It'll make my uh, son, Zach, who's. Uh, going to school in the Midwest and playing ball there. Who does not miss an Avalanche game? He'd be thrilled that we started the podcast yeah, with <laughs> a good, uh, you know, five minutes of uh, Avalanche hockey. So that's uh, that's awesome. So you mentioned that uh, Drew Locke, Jesse got, um, you know, got his first start finally. Mm-hmm.
2: I yeah, mean, people finally. Were
0: starting to wonder. You know, is this guy going to play? Did they? Mm-hmm. Do the Broncos think they made a mistake? Because right there, were, there was great mystery around. Even this week when we saw that he was getting. The number one snaps, Mm -hmm. but they still didn't name him the starter until about, it seemed like five minutes before the opening kickoff (laughs) on Sunday against the Chargers. He played well. He didn't play, he he didn't light the world on fire, but he played well. Mm -hmm. He played like he belonged. He played like he expected to play well. And for any athlete, but particularly one who plays that position, you got to have that got to have that. Yeah. And so I, I, I was impressed. And the the proof will be, you know, in follow-up games, is he going to have some clunkers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Listen, even the elite guys have clunkers, but you had to like what you saw from Drew Locke. And you mentioned this earlier. It's one of my favorite words, moxie. He played with moxie, especially, you know, kid coming out and playing in his first NFL game.
2: Right. And, and especially behind, you know, that O line that obviously has its issues. I think it could have been very easy for a kid like that to go out and be scared that he was going to get run over. And, you know, am I going to take any sacks and for him to go out there and hold himself the way he did. Um, it's impressive. It's, it's, it's for me, that was more impressive from a mental standpoint because, you know, Brandon Allen went out and stole a win. So he played all right, but for me the the mental side of it I thought was was impressive. I, I, I was impressed.
0: And the Broncos find a way to win, courtesy of the officials. I'm going to jump in there right now because, you know, I, I've pontificated on this on uh, several occasions already on this podcast. I have great respect for officials uh, in any sport. It mm. is not easy. I understand that. Yeah, and And my bigger issue is the seeming mandate from the league that any infraction, any hint of an infraction, anything that whiffs of an infraction gets flagged. <laughs> And now we have a sluggish sport that does not need to be that sluggish. So we take a, you know, we with that preamble, <laughs> I will take you to the final snap of the game. And I give Vic Fangio credit. 14 yeah. seconds, you know, throw the ball deep, hope you get what you got, mm-hmm. a P.I. call. Right. Unless it is egregious in my mind, and I'm glad the Broncos won, certainly. Right. Probably doesn't help them in the grand scheme of things when you talk about the April draft, but yeah. that's another topic. We'll save that for when Julie's back. We'll save that for when Julie's <laughs> back, if she's sober enough to uh, conduct the <laughs> program next week. She'll never hear that. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but I, it, unless it's egregious, keep the flag in your pocket. And I, I did not think that, wa- that warranted a 37-yard penalty and basically gave McManus... An opportunity to win the game and he, and he came through. I'm going to get to Brandon McNanist, yes. by the way, in a moment. Oh, yeah. Also. So I hate that. I hate the fact that we can't have three consecutive plays in the NFL without a flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most visible players in the NFL are not players, they're the white hats.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think I. You know, like I said, I I spend or like like we talked about at the beginning, I spend a lot of my time, uh, you know, with the abs and around the NHL and and those officials and they've got their lumps. So let me ask you over the last few years, I feel like the NFL officials, I I feel like it's gotten again. I don't want to use the word worse because it's such a tough job, but I feel like every play has a flag and I feel like it wasn't like that even just a few years ago. There, I would
0: agree with you. And, I, and again, I think it's a mandate from the league, from Park Avenue, that, you know, they're concerned about lawsuits. So we understand where they're trying to, you know, eliminate the head completely from football. Yeah. And, some, and sometimes when there's head-to-head contact, it is unavoidable. You have athletes moving very quickly. You are lead, you're, you know, you're trying to make contact with your shoulder. What's next to your shoulder? What's between your two <laughs> shoulders? Your head. Right, okay? right. Okay. Uh, common sense has to be utilized. But right. I just go back to this. If it is a flagrant violation, if I've got a bear hug around you and I tackle you so you don't sack the quarterback, we throw a flag that is clearly holding. Right. 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 But if, you know, there was a little Jersey tug and and the guy slides by and and it didn't really affect the play, please. Right. Stop. Enough. Let him play. Right.
2: And and I think it kind of comes down to... um, Something that you know, it's and it's true in every sport. Are you calling the written rule? Or are you calling it in the spirit of what the rule was meant to prevent? Like you just said, if there's a little jersey tug that the guy blows right through, you're not calling holding in the spirit of what that rule was put in place for us, which was to keep people from bear hugging a guy and taking him to the ground. And in that play yesterday, again, you're glad we're glad the Broncos won and all that stuff, but. That guy's making a play on the ball. That looked like pretty incidental contact to me. At that point in the game, I wouldn't.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, wouldn't. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't want that flag thrown. Right. I don't want that flag thrown, and it benefited the team in the city that we live. Great, but but I don't want that thrown. I want to. I want to get back to Brandon McManus. Yes, and I'm going to pose this question not only for you, Jesse, but I'm going to pose this question for all of our uh, great listeners. Mm-hmm. Brandon McManus, right before halftime. Trots out on the field because the Broncos are going to attempt a 65-yard field goal. They're at altitude. McManus, we know, has a super strong leg. Yep. There wasn't much wind, mm-hmm. and not only is it worth three points, the Broncos led. You know, field goals are worth three points. Last time I checked, um, <laughs> it, it would have been an NFL record. Mm-hmm. And then Vic Fangio decides against it. And take so much time in the process that it cost them five yards. So the that was bungled right. Right, from a coaching standpoint. The reaction from McManus, you could characterize it in a couple of ways. Yeah. He threw his helmet, he was yelling at his head coach, come storming off. You know, as a professional athlete that the camera is always on you. Right. You assume it's on you. It's why. In dugouts with the manager, when a player makes a bad error, let's say, and they know that immediately a camera or director is going to cut to their reaction. Guy strikes out with the bases loaded, that sort of thing. So the manager has to keep that poker face. He can't, you know, slam his hat down because that permeates throughout the clubhouse immediately. He buried me. Mm-hmm. My manager buried me. Think I wanted to strike out. Think I wanted to have that ground ball go through my legs. So, they have to remain stoic. You know it as an athlete. You know it as a coach, especially as a head coach. So, Brandon McManus comes off the field and throws a temper tantrum. My reaction was selfish, Mm. number one. Number two, would that – And here's my question. I'm long-winded getting there, Jesse. Would that ever – Have occurred, if the head coach's name is Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, I mean, Pete Carroll, you can go down the list, would anybody show up,
2: especially a kicker, Mm -hmm. the head coach in that manner? You know, I I didn't know that's where you were going with that, and I think that's a great question. I think that's a great question, and and it kind of... Ties into some of the reports that we've been hearing over the last few weeks that, that maybe Vic Fangio has already lost some of this locker room, but that's you know, maybe that's a separate conversation. Uh, I think the answer is no to your question. Um, I, I thought on the whole situation, I didn't really like the way that Fangio handled it putting him out there, pulling him off, waiting too long, costing the team five, you know, it, it was just, it was all really kind of messy, but the way Brandon McManus handled it when he came off the field, selfish is a good word to
0: use, unprofessional, he didn't abate either in the locker room after the game. They won, mm-hmm. and, and you know he he had a big part in it. Obviously, he kicked the game winning kick. He right. had another field goal in there as well. So he he you know kept his composure, mm-hmm. but he basically continued along the same theme that he wanted to attempt that kick. That it would have been for an NFL record. And again, the kind of I get it. I inside, yeah, you want to have that opportunity. Right. I understand that you're probably better if you don't articulate it. it doesn't it never comes off right? But he continued to say he told Fangio he could hit from that distance. He also, and I didn't see this, I but was to, you, you know where I'm you, going with yeah. this. He came out when, when they warm up for the third quarter. It's still halftime, a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the specialists always come out a little bit early. The first place he had the the holder uh, put the ball down was so he could attempt a 65-yard field goal. So, I mean, he th- that doesn't occur <laughs> – again in new england you there's a long list of places that would not occur mm-hmm. i mean as you guys know i'm a, a new york giant fan you go back when tom coughlin was there last time the Bronx or the giants <laughs> had, a, had a coach where everybody said okay you know he's the guy and right I don't, I don't know how long pat Shermer is for the job in new york right now but jesse you can, can you imagine a kicker doing that with tom coughlin looking on no way there's no way no way mike tomlin I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned he says, there's no way it's, it's, it's Mike Shanahan. Let's keep it in Denver. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I just, it, it was one of those things. I, I, John Foxy. I mean, it's not going to happen.
2: Right. Right. So what Wade is Phillips went back when Wade had it? I, 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 it's just not going to yeah, happen. Right. Right. And and so what is that, you know, especially with this persona that was kind of, you know, that, that Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio is described as being one of those, you know, no BS types of guys. What does that type of interaction say to you? As someone who you know has been around the teams in this town, what does that say to you when, when the kicker—and again, not taking anything away from the kicker—he won the game of shape, but the kicker
0: is coming off the field and yelling like that again. I, I don't cover them on a day-to-day basis, so so I have no idea. And I'm sure Vic Fangio. We know he's a bright football mind. Mm-hmm. He's been in the business forever, and, and I and I make this observation and and thusly this statement, not to you know impugn his his character or his ability right. to lead, I just found it really curious. And sometimes maybe it's more about the guy. You know, we've seen other athletes fly off the handle because they can't control themselves. And maybe it's more, I don't know, McManus. Maybe it's more about McManus. But I'm just thinking, wow, he's he, he not only throw his helmet and is showing up as coach in his actions – but he's yelling in his direction when he came off. So, again, that and that was interesting.
2: The helmet throw for me was the part where it started looking a little tantrum-ish was the helmet throw. Because you've seen athletes get into arguments with coaches at, at all levels and stuff like that, but it was the helmet throw. And then, like you said, yelling in his direction very clearly, you know, at slash about him. Um, and I just thought that was... I don't think that flies in most other organizations. No, and, and, and it may be
0: one of those things that uh, you know is is a footnote in the 2019 season, but maybe it's one of those also to be continued at some point or another. I suppose marker that we will refer back to at some point in time.
2: If if either Fangio or McManus aren't back with the Broncos next year, I think you can probably look to this will be some type of benchmark.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I, honestly, I would be shocked if if. If, if that were on either side, you'd assume I, right. McManus is a good kicker. You'd assume he'll be back. Vic mm-hmm. Fangio will be going into a second mm-hmm. year. And uh, I think that would be premature.
2: Right. Well and, well, and I guess when I say that something would have to go sideways and you'd be able to look at this event as here was a warning sign that McManus was Correct. an a-hole or Correct. Fangio lost the team, whatever it is. Correct. Yeah.
0: I, I will buy into that. I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. I said, we had a special interview. <laughs> this is, I'm chuckling. Cause you know where I'm going <laughs> with this. So I have three boys, three Three of the best kids going. We all uh, love our children. And um, my boys are 21, 19, and 16 and a half. My 21-year-old, after playing college baseball at Denison University, transferred a couple years ago to University of Colorado. He's finishing up uh, a finance degree uh, there. And uh, I could brag on, on all of them for a while, but I'm not going to do that. But uh, Jacob, my oldest, Jacob, Zach, and Gabe, Jacob is, uh, is our special Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. Love it. So we're going to get to that right after I tell you a little bit more about Ideal Home Loans. You can reach them at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. I'm utilizing them right now because I'm in the process of uh, purchasing a new home. They answer all of your questions. They, They just are so easy to deal with. And I've been fortunate enough to buy a number of homes through the years and deal with different uh, folks on the lending side. And and I've had all different kinds of experiences. This is A+, and it's uh, It's because they're not only A-plus with me, they've been A-plus with all of you through the years since 2001 for Brent Ivinson, their owner, that they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They're a local direct mortgage banker. Their employees are salary-based. They're very, very good at what they do. In fact, the Rockies love them. They've been the preferred mortgage provider of the Rockies over the last several years. You can reach them at 303-867-7000. Rates are terrific right now, 303-867-7000. And with that, Ideal Home Loans brings us our our interview of the week. It's my oldest son, Jacob. And we're talking about uh, how young people, Jesse, you fall into that category, gather in and watch and view their sports. All right. I was wondering, you're 21, almost 22, or 21 and a half, I guess, to be exact. How do your contemporaries... Watch sports. They sit down and watch a whole game at a time.
1: Well, first off, I appreciate you finally having me on. It's long overdue. Um, and to answer your question, um, I'll take that under consideration. Go ahead. To, to answer your question, there's there's times when people sit down and watch a whole game, um, but more often it's that the game is on in the background while we're, we're doing something else, and that. You know, we, we look up now and then um, to, to see what's going on. And I think a lot of it, um, watching sports now at our age has to do with fantasy sports or, or gambling. People um, are really in kind of like a random you know, NBA game or even a random NFL game unless they have something on the line. Um, and I think that maybe is different than how it was years ago. So basically you guys are a bunch of degenerates in college these days. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you've uh, made
0: that announcement. You mentioned fantasy sports. We know fantasy sports has been huge, rotisserie, you know, going back to rotisserie baseball, but especially in football, fantasy football. Do you think people would watch the game at your age if there wasn't fantasy involved, period?
1: Uh, fantasy and or gambling um, I I don't think people would watch it as much I think people would still watch their favorite teams play, uh, maybe not to the the degree that they do now um, but certainly a random college basketball game um, wouldn't be watched or watched as intensely as it is um, with gambling do people enjoy the game of football for what it is now? Or
0: again, is it, is it part and parcel because of, hey, so and so got me X number of points? I mean, do, when I grew up naturally, when I was a Giant fan, as you know, you're a Giant fan. When it was one o'clock back east, you were watching the Giants and you didn't, you didn't miss a snap. It doesn't seem like your generation is that way because of the internet, because of the phones, because of red zone, etc.
1: Yeah, I think even um, you know I'm a Giants fan. Obviously, it's tough to watch the Giants right now as um, in Denver. If you're a Broncos fan, it's tough to watch the the Broncos right now, except when they play the Chargers. But uh, there's there is red zone now. <clears throat> there's social media. There's all these kinds of apps um, that you can stream the games on and and not even watch all the plays but just watch the highlights or just watch the big plays and then red zone you only watch when teams are obviously in the red zone for a fantasy perspective that's what everybody likes to watch um, and so I think a lot of people watch because of fantasy because of gambling and they like to see instantaneous um, you know, gratif- gratification um, instead of watching, uh, you know, a 14 to 10 Raven Steelers game or something like that, um, like a little dogfight. You're a reader, and, I, and I'm
0: really glad you are. You're actually a voracious reader. It seems to me because of Twitter and Instagram and YouTube that a lot of young people don't read. And I want to make this question... Uh, particular to columns in newspapers, columns on the internet, game recaps. Does anybody your age, I shouldn't say just anybody, but but how frequently does somebody come up to you and say, hey man, that was a really interesting piece that was written by Mark Kisla or you know Bob Nightingale in USA Today.
1: Does that happen much? Uh, no. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mark and uh, Bob, but uh, not, not at my, you know, I, I enjoy reading articles and I'm sure there's, there's guys like me and then girls like me that enjoy reading sports articles. And I love going on ESPN, um, uh, and, and reading all the the different articles that there are out that day and analysis. Um, but I would say, you no, know, a lot of people get their information from tw- their news from Twitter or Instagram, and people would rather scroll on that than, than read a, you know, uh specific piece on why the Patriots are struggling right now on offense. Uh, it just doesn't have it as much. I'd say that people, one thing that people do do is a lot of my friends do listen to podcasts, um, whether it be sports podcasts, whether it be um, Gary V's uh, podcasts. Um, there is a lot of, I'd say podcast listening going on, but um, my age, I would say a lot of my friends would rather listen to music Um and, and talk or play a video game almost than read an article or read God forbid the newspaper at
0: my age. Uh, By so. the way, you, you mentioned podcasts I assume uh, every one of your friends is a religious follower of this podcast uh,
1: yeah sure all
0: right, you better start doing your part in that regard. all
1: right how would you how would you
0: rank the four major sports? In your age group, and I, again, this is completely unscientific, it's your friend group, but how would you rank them
1: um, in terms of popularity? Yeah, I would say that instead of four, I would say there's there's six major sports, because I would separate the NBA and college basketball, and I'd separate um, college football um, from the NFL. Um, I would say that NFL probably reigns number one still. I would say college football probably is number two. Um, and I, it, that might be just recency bias because it's what's been going on every Saturday and Sunday for the last two, three months. Uh, but I think that's fairly true. And then I think certain time periods, uh, more so than, than than sports, is what you know, constitutes popularity. So in March, I'd say everybody's watching March Madness in college basketball. Um, whereas right now, I, no, not a lot of people watch, you know, the random college basketball game. And certainly not a lot of people watch the random NBA game or the random NHL game. They'll, they'll follow their team. And when I say follow their team, most people will check the box scores in the morning rather than watching religiously every night. Um, and then, you know, during the summer, I'd say people fall baseball um, just like they follow the nba and the nhl during the regular season um but the only sport people really watch i'd say religiously and follow throughout the regular season at least a casual sports fan at my age would be the nfl um and so i'd say nfl college football um and then the playoffs for each sport would be a side for third now you were a college
0: baseball player you, you've always loved baseball you grew up in a baseball family Do people your age, and even, you know, teammates, former teammates of yours, watch baseball? I mean, sit down, and I'm I'm not just talking about catch the highlights, so so so-and-so went three for four with a couple of home runs, and I saw Mike Trout's highlights, where you actually are watching pitch by pitch.
1: I'd say in the playoffs, uh, we definitely did. I mean, we watched a lot of the guys that weren't even baseball fans this year. year. We watched a lot of the playoff games, and we'd really— Watch intensely about what was going on, and that was fun. I would say during the regular season, it depends on if you are a baseball fan or a big fan of your sports team. But I'd say I was talking about this earlier that uh, a lot of, I think it, there's an East Coast. Um, as, as you go more east, um, there are more really big sports cities: St. Louis, Chicago, Boston, New York, um, where you know whatever season it is. I for my friends in Boston, they really follow. That That sports team, so right now, my friends from Boston, they follow the Patriots, obviously, and they follow the Bruins and the celtics um and and they watch their games, whereas in Denver, yeah, we watch the Broncos and we check the box scores of the nuggets, and you know we we see the av scores sometimes, but that but it's not as fault intensely as it is for someone say from Chicago or Boston, where these cities really, really revolve around whatever sports team's playing right then. And, and what
0: about particular to baseball, did you find cause you went to school in Ohio for a while, <laughs> did you find that uh, that the kids your age, your teammates, were more intent on watching baseball as opposed to just highlights?
1: Yeah, no no doubt. I remember um, I, went, I went to Denison University in Ohio and I um, a lot of people were really uh, intent on watching baseball, not just people that were on the baseball team. Uh, just anybody that liked sports was a lot more um, focused on watching baseball versus people that I've grown up with and, and people here in Colorado, um, and that's not just <clears throat> true at Denison. I remember visiting friends at Miami Valley, Ohio, or going and visiting friends back in New York and Boston. That they enjoy. There's a lot more baseball fans, in my opinion, there that are fo- that will have the game on rather uh, than there is here. Analytics. Do kids pay attention to analytics today, or
0: is it still for young people who follow baseball? Still, hey, how many home runs that guy have? How many RBIs that guy have? What's he hit?
1: Uh, I think there's a separation between the casual baseball fan and the <clears throat> the really intense baseball fan. And certainly, no casual baseball fans know what WRC plus R is, or what WOBA is, or um, anything outside of. Uh, you know, batting average, home runs, RBIs, runs, ERA is, um, and even with intense baseball fans, um, you still have a lot of people that um, really focus on those stats that are you could basically calculate in your head what your batting average is. You know how many, you know, how many hits versus how many bats. It's, it's very easy to calculate. I'd say even intense baseball fans still focus on those statistics versus the new sabermetrics that. Um, are obviously a lot more complex and are constantly changing. They're coming out with new stats. Every website's coming out with new stats all the time. Um, and so that's for a casual fan and even an intense fan that, that you know likes it easier to follow, it's it's harder to relate to those mathematical equations. Because your generation is so instant,
0: into, as you said a moment ago, instant gratification, do you think to captivate this next generation of sports fan, whether it be baseball, basketball, or football, there needs to be some rule changes where, well, let's, let's take baseball, where there's more offense, where there, where there's more quote-unquote action, again, to captivate a
1: younger audience that is so used to now, now, now. I think for baseball, one of the biggest things is going the other direction of what the analytics have brought. The analytics have brought... Um, that the three true outcomes that are really, really important in baseball and vital to team success is strikeouts, walks, and and home runs. Um, and so as, a, as when you're on offense, you want to hit home runs and walk, and you don't want to strike out, and the opposite um, for when you're pitching. So those are the three biggest outcomes in baseball, and that's why walk percentages up, K percentage is up, and home run um, rate is up. But what that leads to is a lack of action in the actual sport. So by bettering the team and optimizing the efficiency of your offense or of your of your pitching staff, you're actually uh, taking away from a lot of the action that casual baseball fans would rather see. They'd rather see balls in play all the time, uh, Nolan Arenado making great plays three, four times a game, rather than 13 strikeouts and five walks in a three-hour and 40-minute game because... Uh, every pitch every at bat's going deep into the count um would you make a rule change though i mean would you would you do
0: something dramatic if you were in charge for one day uh,
1: um, specifically I, I think um, maybe put, putting more incentive on 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 swinging the bat um whether that be um you know having a you know a, a larger strike a larger out. strike zone yep so um you have to swing the bat a little bit more and that may lead to more strikeouts, but it'll also probably lead to more balls in play um i one thing that you can do that doesn't exactly enforce more action but during the all-star game i really find it interesting when guys are mic'd up and when you hear You know, actual conversations going on. And in the NFL, I know they they have guys mic'd up and you listen to their their conversations. And that's part of the reason why the NBA uh, receives a lot of popularity is because you feel like you really know the characters in the NBA. You feel like you really know LeBron James. And a lot of that is because he's right there in front of you. He's so close to the fans when he's playing. And you don't get that in baseball because they're on the field and you could be you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet away from them up in the stands. Um, and a way to change that is on TV, have guys mic'd up for segments of the game. So you really listen to what their thought process is during it back, what their thought process is when they're shifting um, in the infield or when they're relaying signs, um, you know, from, you know, from the catcher to the shortstop. I think that would go a long way into really teaching the game to to youth, but also getting, more people involved um, in the game. Last question:
0: If you could have one job in sports, what's the greatest job you could have?
1: Um, I think playing would be uh, it would be number one. I think being a professional baseball player, heck, a professional golfer, would be pretty dang fun. Um, you know, outside of playing, I think I'd, I'd have always wanted to be a major league general manager. So that is something I still aspire to be. Um, I think that would be a blast um, I think there 's a ton of great things to do in sports it 's a huge industry thanks buddy now' go study I love you I, uh, thank you for having me I love you too
0: that was fun that was, that was neat having uh, having Jacob on so uh, i 'm going to have to get my other boys on as yeah, well.
2: Say, you're, so you're going to have everyone now come, hey, why am I not on the show? Why right. did he get to be on the show?
0: Well, Zach, Zach's a communications major um, at Webster University in St. Louis, and he um he's also playing college baseball there but he does a lot of play-by-play and he has a podcast also nice so uh, you know what until i'm on his podcast he ain't on our podcast how about that that's right quid pro quo heard that heard that term out uh banning about uh lately zach you can come on anytime you want gabe as well hey jacob you you know you listen to it Mm -hmm. and You know, you, you smiled at one point because I think it resonated with you in that so many, you're 27, right? Mm -hmm. Jacob's 21. So, so many people in in your age group, number one, you're used to instant gratification in terms of, I'm not sitting there watching a three hour game. I can watch, you know, the red zone channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. How big is fantasy with you and your buddies?
2: Uh, I mean, everyone, everyone plays fantasy. whether you, you know, I, I have, uh, I finally, finally last year, I stopped doing fantasy hockey. I used to do fantasy hockey, but those lineups are tough to keep up with for 82 games. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, everyone does fantasy football. You have one at work, you have one amongst your friends, you have one with your family, you know, everyone does fantasy. And you mentioned red zone. That's all I'm thinking. I, on, on, I love red zone. It's, it's the fantasy channel.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 you just brought me to a story. There's always a story. <laughs> I, I don't do fantasy football, mm-hmm. and I, I have it in a number of years. I used to do it, and then I put one together when my kids were young, So they, you know, and I kept the, the numbers. Now it's probably the last time I was <laughs> semi-involved. I found the draft to be a blast. Yeah. And then like two, three weeks in, Jesse, I'm that guy <laughs> that's like, Goodman's playing some dude who blew out his knee two weeks ago. His yeah. quarterback got benched, and he hasn't changed his lineup. Right. Yeah. I stopped paying attention Yeah, and I realized, you know, so I'm, I'm a mess, but, but he, <laughs> I was in a, uh, there's a very famous media baseball, um, mm-hmm. what, what do we call it? Rotisserie, uh, fantasy baseball or what, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. Fantasy, yeah. Fantasy league. Yeah. But very famous with a lot of media members and been going on for years. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes way back to. Oh man, probably close to thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. This is before computers, and mm-hmm. or, or at least when people had them. Right, right. So there were big ones, not personal computers. Yeah, they used to rent. Yeah, they used to rent out a, a big conference room at a, at a hotel in town, and and a lot of these guys are still doing it. Dave Platty, Ron Zoppola was in there. Doug Moe, who's a huge baseball guy, mm-hmm. and I was sitting next to Doug. And everybody's got, like, their Street and Smith magazine. Like, if you brought your Street and Smith, you were like, boy, this guy's he's really serious, right? <laughs> so, so, check this out. So, you have to have a guy at every position. Yeah. So, we're around the 23rd round, Jesse. And I realize I don't have a catcher. Okay. This when, when, when I when I tell you that when the end of the story comes, you're, you're gonna get you'll have a better idea of what year it is. Well,
2: I I thought for one second before you going, I thought you were gonna say I got to the 23rd round and realized I'm a pitcher is okay. where I thought that story that would, was that going. Been,
0: no, that would have been really bad. <laughs> but I was pretty bad, but not that bad. So, you know, and I'm a baseball guy, and I don't have a catcher. So, right. and that was the position I played in college. Though, oh, so shit. that's pretty bad. <laughs> Anyhow. I don't have a catcher. I, and Doug's looking at me with great disdain and, you know, in that great voice and character is, he goes, you need a catcher. He goes, I got a guy for you. And he, and he points on his paper. He goes, the Dodgers like this kid a lot. He was in AAA last year. His name's Pizza. And I said, pizza? I drafted some guy named Pizza. So I drafted the Chicago White Sox's Ron Karkovice. Nice. Pizza, as you know, turned out to be Mike Piazza, (laughs) future Hall of Famer. His
2: name's Pizza? Well, but
0: Doug in his Brooklynese, he couldn't pronounce the guy's (laughs) name. It looked like pizza to him what he said. But he was right. He said he'd heard good things about him, but he wasn't going to take him because he hadn't played in the big leagues right, yet. Right. Pizza turned out to be a pretty good player. <laughs>
2: Should have listened to Mo. Always I, go with pizza is yeah. the lesson in that. Yeah, oh, that. Whenever pizza is offered, say yes, regardless of the setting. Yeah, that's my fantasy baseball draft. <laughs> that's a good story. one. That's uh, Yeah, that that that's a funny story. Yeah, see, that's a good one because he went on to be... That, like, that wasn't funny... 6 months later. No, you and know pl- what I mean? Like plus it got I wish, funnier.
0: And anybody who's been in town for for a while and remembers when Doug coached and and Doug one of the great characters we've ever had in any sport in this town. I love him to death. Mm-hmm. But to hear how Doug would say it as I said right. with, with great disdain like goodman you idiot. <laughs> and he still he loves telling that story. <laughs> As well. We'll get some more. We'll get, you know, we'll get dug on at some point. Yeah. Okay. Be good one. Before we depart, I want to talk a little bit about college football because Jacob had mentioned that he's mm-hmm. a big college football fan. We had rivalry week last week, the, you know, the Iron Bowl, what a great football game, 48, 45, Auburn, mm-hmm. you know, they don't get yeah. beat even by Alabama at Jordan-Hare. Then there's this multitude, Jesse, every, every time rivalry week's over, coaches get the pink slips, right? <laughs> and sometimes it gets me thinking. How realistic are these ADs when they're firing these coaches who are sometimes around 500? Boston College fired their head coach who's 500 over eight seasons. Um. Who else? Missouri, Barry Odom, former player at Missouri. I remember covering him mm-hmm. when I was doing Big Twelve football. Barry Odom, four years, twenty-five and twenty-five. Now they did lose five of their last six. There was a lot of expectation coming into the season. It started okay for Missouri. Well, actually, they lost to Wyoming, but you know, good for Wyoming. But right. they didn't have the kind of year they were they were thinking. So they fire him twenty-five and twenty-five after four years. How many of these schools are unrealistic in their expectations? I mean, there's only really one Alabama, there's one right. Clemson, there's one Ohio State. Ole Miss fires their coach.
2: Right. Do they, are they expecting to win 10 football games every year? <laughs> right. I think, and I think it kind of, a lot of it, for me at least, and, and in my theory, I think a lot of it comes back to what what parts of college athletics that drive people crazy cuz to your point what what do you think you're going to go out and do by firing your you, you know your 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 coach old miss and I, I at least for me i think a lot of it has to do with there's donors and there's more maybe pressure um more influential external pressure on these these ADs and and stuff like that cuz to your point what are you hoping to accomplish? You're, you're, you know, he was fine. He he knows the team. He knows, you know, the school in some of these situations they've been around. Uh, what do you, what are you going to, is, are you really going to bring someone in that's going to be that much groundbreakingly better? Well, first of all, you're going to probably not lose a complete recruiting class, but
0: you're not going to have a great recruiting class no. because no. now you're in transition. That school that was recruiting you, is now searching for a new head coach, and then who knows if they still like you? New, you know, they'll keep like one or two assistants. Mm-hmm. It's going to be you know nine new guys at least. Yep. So it, it oftentimes, sometimes it works. Oftentimes it does not. It's like Arkansas; they fired Morris after a couple of years. You know, after Bilma got let go, they'll be on another coach in three years. We'll be having the same <laughs> same conversation. <laughs> before we C- go ahead,
2: you sorry, see C- you. I mean, how many head coaches have they gone through in the last handful of years before? It- Finally, you know, it looks like they've stabilized a little bit, but now got a little bit of consistency. You're not firing a head coach every time I look up. I'm
0: glad you mentioned that because before we depart, I wanted to mention some of the schools locally. Mm Mm-hmm. As of, as of this taping on Monday night, Colorado State, and there had been rampant rumors that you know they were going to let Mike Bobo go. He he's two and eighteen against his rivals, plus Boise State. That's rough, eh? He's lost twelve in a row against his rivals: Air Force, Wyoming, University of Colorado. Uh, I like Mike a lot. Uh, uh, about three four weeks ago, um, I had them, and I got to spend some time with them. Mike was was on our on our podcast, mm-hmm. and. I'd like to see them still get one more year because I think they're trending in the right direction, even though I know for that fan base it doesn't feel that way. Yeah um they have good players they have to start winning games there's no question he has to win they have to go to a bowl game next Mm -hmm. year and i would say they have to win seven or eight games next year for him to keep his if if, you know we who knows maybe they they make a change after we're done with our podcast (laughs) which is usually how this stuff goes usually how this stuff goes um wyoming they have When we talk about culture, we always talk about that in sports, particularly Mm -hmm. in football. For me, it's greater than culture. It's identity. Colorado State, you say, what's their identity? They're still trying to figure out what their identity is. Mm -hmm. At Wyoming, under Craig Bowl. And he went through some quarterbacks this year because Sean Chambers went down. You know what their identity is. Right. He's a great fit up there. They're going to play tenacious defense. They're going to run the football. They're going to run the football. They're going to run the football. It's going to be physical. They're going to be play well in the elements. You know what you're getting when you're playing a Wyoming football team year in and year out. The names will change because right. they do, right? Right. They have an identity. To your point, Jesse, what I'm seeing – and Air Force. I don't want – Troy Calhoun, and they won 10 football games. Great, great year. You know you're going to face a great option attack, and those kids – Those future leaders of the military, Mm -hmm. just like it is at the Naval Academy, just like it is at Mikey Stadium at West Point. Those kids are relentless. They're going to play 60 minutes and they're going to play you on their field or they're going to play you in an alley. They're going to play you in a parking (laughs) lot. That's Air Force football. So they have an identity. Right. Right. Colorado. Like you said, they've gone through coaches. they spread it out. They've, you know, they've dabbled in this, dabbled in that. Yeah. They're starting to forge an identity, and toughness is the centerpiece with it. With Mel Tucker, yeah. And good teams do finish strong. Do yeah. Good teams don't whimper out the final. You know. Game 10, game 11, game 12 in the college football season. Mel Tucker's team, they faced a better, they're better athletes on Utah right now. Right. Good win against Washington, solid win against Stanford. They're trending in the right direction. He is creating not just a culture, he is creating an identity again in Boulder.
2: Well, and it's an identity that, you know, you mentioned the recruiting class when you're constantly going through these coaching changes, you know, you're missing out on recruits when you can start to form that identity and it translates to pro sports too, right? Instead of recruits, they're free agents. When you can start to form, you know, an identity, then you have players that fit that identity or want to be a part of an identity like that, that are wanting to come play for you. And, and, and I think that I think you nailed it earlier when, when you made the comment of, okay, you fire coach, you don't necessarily miss this recruiting, recruiting class, but it's not anything like it would have been had you had an identity and a system in place. And you know, you, you look at a school like Colorado, like CU where they were going through those changes a lot over the last few years. and, And it's, how are you expecting to gain any traction? Right. And and so it's great to see that that they finally said it. It appears like they have their guy, and they can kind of start to carve out who they are and, and what they want to be about. And until CSU does something like that, that fancy new stadium is going to continue to look awfully empty. Yeah, they
0: have they have good players. Those good players. Have to start winning football games and, and it always begins and ends with, with the head coach. And uh, I will leave you with this thought. You can talk about culture. You can talk about, as we were just mentioning, identity. Hmm. It's an old line in football it's about the jimmies and joes right (laughs) yeah yeah or or as my former (laughs) big 12 partner dave lapham used to say you can x and o all you want but if their x's are bigger stronger faster than your o's yeah you ain't gonna win Mm. There you go. Hey, Jesse, man, great job pinch hitting for Julie. Appreciate it. Julie, uh, if you do listen to this podcast and and you have a degree of sobriety as you (laughs) celebrate this uh, most important birthday in San Diego, uh, we wish you well. Stay safe. We'll see you again next week. That's podcast number 21. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brown.